Man, I, uh, I really appreciate how Matthew just continued to worship and didn't even notice my antics up here uh, during the first part of the service. That's a testament to his focus on the Lord. But, you know, we are, uh, I, I've gotten some questions every once in a while about why preach through Malachi? You know, there's a lot more easier you know, there's easier texts, there's, there's uh, uh, some that are more encouraging places to go, because I believe that all Scripture is inspired by God. And if we only hold on to the parts that we like or look at our favorites, we miss out on so much of what God has to say for us. And so today, we're going to continue our study in uh, the book of Malachi uh, we've got this and then two more weeks. I misspoke at the end of last week's message, so uh, we have three messages left from Malachi as we uh, then we'll move into the Lord's Supper and, and the Advent season when we celebrate uh, the first coming of Christ on earth. We celebrate uh, Christmas season. So today we're going to be looking at Malachi chapter 3, verses 3 through 12. Now, this is a passage that... Uh, if when, when you mention Malachi around churchy people, this is the passage people will remember because this is the passage that they'll say, well, that, that's where it tells you to tithe. You know, there's a lot of pastors, they like to focus on Malachi chapter 3 uh, to try to and somehow uh, squeeze more money uh, out of people. Uh, there is a whole lot more clearly to Malachi than, than just this passage, and yet we're going to look at the truth of this passage and not shy away from it either. So, let me lead us in a quick word of prayer, and then we want to dive into God's Word. This, Father, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You that You have provided us Scripture as something in black and white, something that, that speaks to us when we read it, Your Holy Spirit brings it to life into our hearts and into our minds. And, and Lord, oftentimes, just as, as your own word says, it, it's like a two-edged sword. It, it, it cuts quick to our heart. And there's times when we don't like being confronted by Scripture. There's other times when we need and, and desire the great comfort that your word brings. Lord, I pray that today would be both, that your Spirit would cut us where we need to be cut, to prune us, to shape us, to mold us more into your image, encourage us where we need to be encouraged, remind us of the hope that we have in Christ. We pray in his precious name, amen. Now, this passage starts out with a pretty straightforward discussion in verse 7. God looks at the people and he says, since the days of your ancestors, you quit doing what I told you to do. Now, we'll read it here in just a moment. You quit obeying my statutes. Now, one of the things that when we hear something like that, it, it, we struggle with it a little bit because we don't like being told what to do. You know, there's a passage in John chapter 15 uh, in one of my favorite texts. Of course, we just preached through the gospel of John for a while. And in John chapter 15, verses uh, 9 and 10, Jesus tells his disciples, uh, as the fathers love me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. That sounds great. Just as the fathers love me, I love you. We, we like to talk about the love and compassion of God. But then Jesus goes on to say, if you keep my commandments, you'll remain in my love. 
just as I've kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. Wait, wait, wait a minute, Jesus. Keeping commandments? We don't want to do what you told us to do. We just want you to love us regardless of what we do. Well, the truth is God showed his love to us that he loves us even when we're sinners, and yet he has an expectation that his children would love him back. And imagine saying to your wife, I love you, sweetie, but I ain't going to do anything you want. What? Yeah, I love you, but I'm not going to do anything that makes you happy. That doesn't make any sense. We understand that uh, though our flesh pushes back against commandments or the, the desire of the Lord, we need to understand also that it's out of his love that he's given us those commands, those structures, those statutes. And so read with me, with that in mind, read with me Malachi chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Since the days of your ancestors, you've turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of armies. And yet you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? You're robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You're suffering under a curse, yet you and the whole nation are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that you will not ruin, or it will not ruin the produce of your land. And your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. Now, I want to keep this this passage in context and remind you of where we are in Malachi. Remind you that the Lord began Malachi by telling Malachi, go remind my people that I love them. I love them. I'm the one who brought them up out of Egypt. I'm the one who's provided for them. I love them. But also go tell them that I'm sick and tired of their half-hearted worship. Also, I need you to go tell them that uh, they, they need to keep their promises. They, they, I made a covenant with them, and they've not kept their part of the covenant. And, and, and there's an example of that because they're not keeping the covenant with their, the other people of God, and they're not keeping their covenants with their marriages even. Remind them that they've been unfaithful even though I've been faithful. And so God gives these warnings to them out of his love. Remind them that I'm, I, I, I expect you to be fully devoted to me, not half devoted. Remind them that when you, when you enter into a covenant with me or you enter into a covenant with, a, with your spouse, there's an expectation that you keep your promises, that you keep your covenant. And now he's telling them, he said, and, and, and here's another thing. You know, from the very beginning, they've gotten to where you don't keep my commandments. You don't keep my statutes. And so... Uh, I just want to pause.
pause there in chapter 3, verse 7, before we go on any further, before we get into the specifics of the example he uses, because he says, he makes them a promise, return to me and I will return to you. Now, I couch the entire series of, of seven steps to personal renewal or personal revival out of Malachi. It's just not personal, but it also will affect the church, it'll affect the community. What are steps that will bring renewal and revival? God tells us here, one of the first steps that you need to take is repentance. Return to me. You have quit keeping my commandments. You've quit doing what I've told you to do. Turn around and go back to obeying my commandments. Repent. The word repent means to turn from the direction I'm going and turn back toward God and do what it is that he's called me to do. Make that change. So a, a requirement for revival is that we repent when we're confronted with our sin. When we see an area in our life where we're falling short, whether it's an area of worship, whether it's an area of keeping our covenants, keeping our, our God's commandments and keeping our promises, or, or it's an area like this where, where we are, he's going to say, robbing God. We're not giving God what, what he's told us to give back to him. We're not functioning as a steward of God. When we're confronted with our sin, the requirement for revival is repentance. Humble yourself, repent, and turn back to God. That's the, the, the overarching teaching of this text. You've quit keeping my statutes, and because of that, you're under a curse. Because of that, you're separated from me. If you'll turn back to me in repentance, I will return to you. Now, one of the things I struggle with here in this text is where'd he go? If he's going to come back, where did God go? Because God's omnipresent. God's everywhere. Did he really leave Israel? Not in the sense of location, but he left them in the sense of blessing. He left them in the sense of, of uh, pouring out his blessing upon that nation. He's told them, if you refuse to worship me, if you disobey me, my spirit will be removed from you, and you'll be open to attacks from the enemy. You will suffer. Back when, when Solomon built the temple, at the dedication of the temple, God made that promise that if, if you will seek me, if you'll worship me, my presence will fill this holy place, and you'll worship me here. But if my people ever turn away from me, then I'm going to send pestilence, and I'm going to allow famine. And then that famous verse that we, we look to all the time in hope and in prayer for revival, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, is he, he goes on to tell Solomon, but if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their barren land. Here in Malachi chapter 3, verse 7, it's just another way of God saying, you have quit obeying me. If you'll repent and return to me, I will pour out blessings on you. Now, the people of Israel asked, well, give us an example. That's basically what you see here in this text. How, did, how, did, how can we return? God said, well, let me give you one thing right up front. Start bringing your tithe back to the storehouse. One of the first things that, that disappears when we become disobedient and step away from God and quit walking by faith 
trusting the Lord is we quit trusting him with our physical goods. We quit trusting him with our, our, our physical things, our bank account, our finances. We quit trusting him there. And God says, quit robbing me. Now, that's a harsh word. What do you mean quit robbing God? How can I rob from God? He's up there, I'm down here. How can I rob from God? He uses this image because he's told the Israelites that the, if you're going to be my people, the first tenth of all of your income is mine. You, you, before you count out anything else, before you, 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 you seek to live on any of it, you take the first tenth and you bring it into my storehouse as an act of obedience and faith to me. That first tenth belongs to me. And then the, the other 90% is yours. And he says, if, so when he tells them, you've robbed me, he said, you've robbed me because you quit bringing the first tenth now, he adds something here. He says, your tenth, or the, the CSB translates that tenth, which is the literal word that oftentimes is translated tithe. The tithe literally means tenth. So, the, the interpreters or the translators of the Christian Standard Bible just went ahead and interpreted it all the way into English instead of using the churchy word tithe. They, they use the word tenth. And he says, but, but you, you robbed me by not making payments of the tenth and contributions. Well, what's the difference? What are contributions? Well, contributions for the Israelites would be giving above and beyond that tithe, the required tithe. Well, wait a minute. If only the first tenth belongs to God, how are you robbing him by not bringing contributions? Because there's an expectation of our God that when we truly submit to him as Lord, he owns it all. It's all his. 100% belongs to him. And in fact, the, the New Testament really fleshes this out. Uh, instead of using the, the, the words of tithing and offerings and, uh, uh, you know, the grain offerings and all of those words, the, the, the New Testament fleshes it out under the idea of stewardship. In fact, Jesus would suggest that we are God's stewards and that if he is Lord, we submit to him and he owns it all. He's, he is the Lord. He owns everything on the face of this earth. Every breath I take is a gift from him. Every dollar that comes into my bank account is a gift from him. It all literally belongs to God. And, and the truth is when you get down into what looks like you know, his promise at the bottom, uh, or down in verse 11, when he says, I'll rebuke the devourer so that your fields aren't destroyed and, and your, your vineyards begin to produce grapes again, all of those kind of things. We forget that were it not for God sending the rain, were it not for God giving life, were it not for God keeping the, 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 the pest away, we wouldn't have anything. I, I, I could not stand in the pulpit and preach if tomorrow my heart quits beating. But every heartbeat I have is a gift from God. And so, uh, when, when we're talking about robbing God, I want you to begin to think about this, in, this idea of stewardship because what God's really telling the Israelites is they were becoming very poor stewards. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. 
And, and they're to be stewards of his word. They're to be stewards of, of his truth. They're to be stewards of his, of his majesty, so to speak, to point the rest of the world to his glory. And, and to say the very least, they were poor stewards. First of all, you're not even given the first tenth back that is an absolute requirement. And I think that what you see in the nation of Israel is they begin to take this idea that, that they were God's people and that he was their God. They begin to take him for granted and just assume that because I was born in Israel or I was born in a certain lineage that God's going to bless me. And yet, all through the Old Testament and then moving into the New Testament, we understand that those who are truly the people of God are those who are God's people by faith and obedience, not simply because of uh, where they were born or the geography of where they lived. They were taken in for granted, and they were poor stewards because they were failing to obey him. Now, think of it this way. If, if I submit myself to the king of the universe, and I, I confess that he is Lord, I'll use Peter as an example because Peter did just this thing. Peter, after he'd gone through all of his struggles and we looked at Peter's fall at the end of John, Peter still wasn't perfect. So Peter had been the early pastor of the first church. He was the first pastor of the, of the church in Acts. But then you get to Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 10, and Peter runs into a little bit of a problem because at that point, God tells Peter, it's time for you to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And Peter doesn't want to do it. So God gives Peter a vision, and, and, and on this vision, you know, he, you see, Peter sees this sheet being lowered, and he sees these animals and things on it that normally a good Jew wouldn't eat, he wouldn't even touch, and God says, go eat that. And, and in the vision, Peter says, these are the, 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 my favorite Greek phrase, one of my favorite Greek phrases is, made a most curious. It's, it's almost, it, it's a very emphatic, no way, Lord. I want you to pause for just a moment. If he is Lord, how can I take a clear directive from him and say, no way, I ain't going to do it? How can you do that? Because if you say, no way, I'm not going to do it, you're really saying he's not in charge, right? He's not Lord. I'm going to do what I want to do. If I'm going to do what I want to do, regardless of what he tells me to do, then who's Lord in that situation? And so, a steward is one who, who serves under the owner with a recognition that I don't own it. I've just been blessed to be a steward over it. And so the New Testament uses this image of stewardship for all of us as, as believers saying that we recognize that God owns it all. He's the one in charge. I'm just simply been blessed and, and gifted by God with whatever it happens to be. And my job is to use my talent my time, whatever it happens to be, for his glory, as he tells me to. So we walk in a relationship with the Lord. He's Lord, we're the steward, and we do what he's told us to do. 
And that's what was going on here. They had quit being good stewards. They were, they were supposed to bring the first tenth directly to the Lord. And they said, we're not going to do it. We're going to keep it. And then when they did bring something to the Lord, they would, they would not bring the best. They would bring the worst. They, they'd bring half-hearted sacrifices. They'd bring the lame and the weak of their sheep. When God told them to bring the one without blemish. Sadly, I'm afraid that when we understand that God's God, that He is Lord, and that we're called to be stewards, and we understand it in that way, we begin to understand how far short we fall in being a steward of all that God has given us. Now, here's the bottom line. To be a good steward is to submit all that I am and all that I have to Him for His kingdom purposes. That's what it means to be a good steward of Christ. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. The truth is Christ is Lord. Whether we confess it or not, he is Lord. He is the one who is in, in charge of this universe. He's the one who holds all things together. He is Lord. He will be Lord and will enforce that lordship over everyone and over everything at some point in the future. See, right now, he allows the, he's allowed things to go on that, that don't look like he's lord. I guess that's a good way to put it. He's allowed us to make decisions on our own. He's allowed free choice. But there's going to come a day when we will confess him as lord. In fact, every person, even those who have not believed in him, who say there is no God, they're going to find out one day there is a God. So Christ is Lord today. Christ will be worshiped as Lord absolutely and completely in the future. The question for us is, when are we going to fully submit to his lordship? Are we going to choose to fully submit to his lordship now, or are we going to wait till we're forced into it? The Lord's telling the Israelites, you've quit obeying me. You quit bringing the tithe. You quit bringing the contribution. And because of that, you're suffering. You, you like to declare that I'm your God, that I'm your Lord, but you don't act like it. You don't believe it. Now, we could get into all kinds of reasons, especially that finances or money is one of the number one issues that we struggle with walking by faith. A lot of it is just because we're people that we see with their, I mean, we're, we're physical people. And that's why Jesus says that where your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. You know, when, when, when we're invested in the things of this world instead of invested in the things of the kingdom, our heart's truly going to be more tied to this world than it is to the things of the kingdom. We're going to keep our focus on those things where our money is, where our investment is is. And when we invest first and foremost in his kingdom work, that's where our heart's going to be. True stewardship is going to submit to his lordship now. Now, I brushed over this a few moments ago, but certainly there's, there's more than one element to being a steward of, of the blessings that God has poured out on us. There's at least four elements of stewardship, and, I, and I don't, I'm not confident that these are all of the good, all the categories, but let me give you these four. The first one is the one that he addresses here, and that's our treasure. That's our money. I mean, the bottom line is if we're unwilling to 
to trust him with that first tenth as a foundational gift. We're just, at that point, we're just giving God back what's his, okay? If, If we're unwilling or unable to do that, it not only shows a failure to obey, but it shows a lack of trust. It it's indicative of the fact that we don't trust God to provide for us and take care of us if we're unwilling to give back that first hint. Now, let me talk for just a moment about contributions because what God also expects of believers as we fully surrender our lives and heart to Him, as we walk with Him, there'll be times when we give above and beyond that first tenth. And, and my understanding, and some would say, well, you know, the, the tithe was an Old Testament concept. Yeah, so was do not murder. That was an Old Testament concept too. There's all kinds of things that were Old Testament concepts. That does not mean that they're erased in the covenant of grace in the New Testament. And in fact, uh, Jesus speaks specifically at one point to the Sadducees and Pharisees, and people sometimes use this verse to say, well, yeah, this, that suggests that you shouldn't tithe anymore. No, it doesn't. He tells the Pharisees and Sadducees, or the scribes and Pharisees in uh, Matthew 23, 23 is one place where this is recorded. It's also recorded in Luke 12. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You pay a tenth of the mint, dill, and cumin, and yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So, he's calling out the, the leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, because they're tithing on what they have, and they're neglecting the issues of the heart. But he does not tell them to quit tithing. In fact, he goes on to say, these things should be done without neglecting the others. And so, Jesus is very clear. He does not uh, destroy, does not get get rid of the requirements of the Old Testament. What Jesus does is ask us to bring our whole heart to him. Probably one of the, the best views, and, and this was back when uh, uh, worked with Tim on some of this stuff, especially back when he was working with uh, Crown Financial. One, one of the best understandings for Christian stewardship for us as believers is to understand that God desires for us to be generous as He's generous to us. As God has poured out His all-encompassing love and generosity, He's poured out the blood of Christ, He's given us His Son, He's given us His all, He's given us His very best. Second Corinthians says we ought to give back to God in generosity, generously as God has given to us generously. And so, the expectation is the more that we understand the generous outpouring of God's grace and God's blessings and God's love on our, on our lives, we ought to be driven to be more generous people. And, and that generosity begins with, or at least is rooted also in, our treasure, everything that we have. But it's not just in physical things. It's not just in, in, in finances. But we're also to be called, called to be stewards of our time. And God has called us to, to be willing to, to completely surrender our time to Him so that where we go and what we do is directed by Him. We're to be stewards also of our talents. If God has blessed you with particular talents to be used for His, his kingdom, for His glory, and you're holding back those talents just to use them for yourself, then you're not being a good steward of the talents that God has given you. So, our, our uh, stewardship goes beyond just 
finances. Now, I don't want to get away from that. What he's talking to, uh, Malachi is talking to the people of God here is, here's an example of where you're robbing me. You're not even giving your tithe. That's just an upfront example. You're not even giving your tithe. You need to start there. You need to start by repenting from that act of disobedience and turn back toward me and be obedient to do what I've told you to do, to fulfill the, the, the statute that I've given you. Start there. It doesn't mean in there, okay? But we can start there. But there's one other area that I'd suggest, and, and you know, Susan, I'm sorry about this. She loves alliteration. And so when I looked at the elements of stewardship, uh, the, the first three that are very obvious to me are treasure, time, and talent. The fourth one is just as important, and it's our relationships. Doesn't start with a T. I'm sorry about that. I couldn't find one. Our relationships. See, every relationship God's given you, your children, your grandchildren, your spouse, your brothers, your sisters, your friends, your brothers and sisters in Christ, those are blessings. Those people in your lives are blessings and gifts from God. This is especially true for parents who have little ones at home. You're a steward of those children. From the time they're babies, and certainly as long as they're living in your household, God has blessed you with those kids for a time. Now, this is really important on, on, on two different ways. First is remember, they're not yours. They're his. That's tough. That's a tough one because we, we tend to see our children as ours. And yet, I learned that lesson very early on, and you all know that story. Many of you heard, who've heard me tell it before, Katie was was three days old when I was confronted with that, that the doctor said she may not live through the night. And I, I just remember the Lord, <laughs> this is a horrible vision, but he gave me a vision of a, of a child, because this had happened in my extended family, a child who was on their big wheel. Do you remember those? Who rolled his big wheel out, into, out of the driveway into the, into the road and was hit by a car and was gone in a moment. Perfectly healthy child, seven years old, lost his life immediately. And I was reminded at that point of the brevity of life that Katie was three days old, and she had all kinds of health problems, and so it was even more real to us. But the truth is, every relationship we have, our children, whether they're healthy or not healthy, whether they're going into surgery or, or whether they're going off to school, they are a blessing from God. Our kids are not ours, they're his, and we have to trust them into his hands. And, and, and certainly, it's a, it was a good reminder for me because when we hold so tight to what we believe is ours and we forget that they belong to him, is we sometimes try to mold them and shape them into our image instead of molding them and shaping them into his image. Sometimes we want to hold them so tight, we don't want them to obey God because God may take them away from us. The, the point is here that even our relationships are blessings and gifts from God that we're called to be stewards of those relationships. We're not owners. The truth is, folks, you and I are on the face of this earth for a short time. 
in, in, in the scheme of eternity, even in the scheme of human history. We may have 70 years, we may have 80 years, we may have a few more, we may have a few less, but even if we were to live to be one century, in the scheme of eternity, that's but a vapor. While we're here, we don't own it. We're stewards of it. And whatever it is that God has blessed you with, however much time he gives you, however much treasure he gives, however much talent he gives, however many wonderful relationships he blesses you with, he's called you to be his stewards of those incredible gifts, those incredible blessings. They belong to him, not to you. You're a steward of his stuff. You're a steward of his people that he's placed around you. Those elements of stewardship, would, if we get a hold of that and understand that he's Lord, I'm a steward, I have to be obedient in everything for his glory. It's not about me anymore, it's about him. So God gives them an offer then in verse 12, or verse 11. Uh, I'm sorry, back all the way up is right after we talked about the, the tenth in the storehouse. He says, bring the full tenth into the storehouse. So, repent and do what I told you to do in the first place. Obey me. Bring the full tenth. Trust me. Start over. Turn back to me. Repent, turn around, and trust me by bringing that initial tenth back to the storehouse. Obey me in that, in that one thing. In fact, he goes on to say, test me. In this way, says the Lord of armies. So he's, he's, he's asking his people, just pick that one thing where you know you're disobedient to me, where you can see, you can check it off, you can look in your checkbook, you know that you're disobedient to me. Do that one thing, trust me, turn back to me, repent, and do what I've told you to do, trust me there. Start there. Test me in that and watch what I do. Test me. See what I do. See if, if, I, if I do what I promised you I'm going to do. See if I, I, I pour out blessings. See if you're able to make it when you don't think you can make it. Test me in that. And if you'll do that, you'll see that I will return to you. I will rebuke the devourer for you. I'll not ruin the produce of your land. The vine in your fields will not fail. There are so many different ways that God can pour out his blessing on you. You cannot even imagine the ways that he could bless you. I believe that there's been times in my life and in my ministry where God protected me with, with little things. Like I, I had a set of tires on the car one time. I think they went over 100,000 miles without wearing out. There, there, God can do things like that where where. You just, you don't even think about it, and he's providing by not letting the enemy tear stuff up. But there's so many different ways that God can, can provide if you just simply test him in it. I remember Kevin sharing a great, wonderful testimony one time where the Lord had called him to, to give a certain amount, and he said, Lord, if I do that, I won't have uh, money to put gas in my tank. But that Sunday, he was obedient. He brought the check. Back to this when we had offering plates. Dropped the check in the offering plate. On the way home, he stopped to get gas, knowing that 
after he got his gas, he was going to have a hard time paying the bills the next week because it was that close. And somebody, a church member that didn't know anything about the situation, was getting gas or pulled up at the pump opposite him and said, put his card in there and said, let me get you gas. Kevin had no way of knowing. That guy had no way of knowing, but God did. God does stuff like that all the time if you test him with your obedience. He's simply asking you to obey. If you love me, you'll obey me. You'll keep my commandments. Test me and watch what happens. I will return to you. Certainly, he was calling on the Israelites to take a step of faith, particularly in their case with their tithes and offerings. Now, I don't know what area the Lord's challenged you in today. It may be with your tithes and offerings. It may be with your time. He may have called you to serve in some way that you have been disobedient in, and you know it. It may be that he's called you to a particular ministry that you have chosen not to follow. It may be that you're not being obedient to him in your relationships, and you're not trusting him in your relationships. You're not letting him be Lord of your relationships with others. There may be somebody that you need to go ask forgiveness from. There may be somebody that you need to make restoration to. I, I, only the Lord knows and you know how the Lord's speaking in your heart. It may be that God's blessed you with a talent that you're hiding. And you know God's called you to use it for his glory. Good stewards are going to be obedient when God calls them. You're going to be walking with him and you're going to know what that contribution is. You can start with the minimum. You can start with the tithe and be obedient there. But God expects more than that from his children. And he's calling you to it. And I believe that, that as God's word is preached, he is always at work. So God's calling you today to, to allow his spirit to examine your heart and respond to him today. Is there an area of your life that you have not submitted to his lordship? You're holding on to it as your own. You're not being a good steward of your treasure, your time, your talent, or your relationships. Is there an area that you need to respond in obedience to Him? You've been listening to a Sunday morning message from our services here at First Baptist Watauga. Our family's mission is to exalt the Savior, equip the saints, and evangelize the lost. If you want to know more about First Baptist Watauga or need to reach out to us for prayer, go to fbcwatauga.org and let us know. In all things, to God be the glory, honor, and praise.